knowing what you believe and why you believe it lies at the very heart of Christian experience, worship, and everyday living. The Bible's not about you. You're not David. Trouble in life is not Goliath. Jesus is going to be David in the shadow. Goliath is going to be sin and death. Who's that make you? Uh, and it doesn't make you the Israelites in the corner going, he's going to kill all of us. That's exactly who you are. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Gospel is that God the Son freely agreed to die our death for us, to suffer our deserved condemnation and doom in our place. And he did, didn't just agree from eternity to do it, he actually did it. It is fatal, fatal for us to think that we can ever move on from the gospel. The great problem in the evangelical church today where the scripture is concerned is not the inerrancy of the Bible. The great problem in the evangelical church today is the sufficiency of scripture. We don't think it's sufficient to do what we have to do. So we have to wake up to what's happening and recognize that the problem really is our lack of theology. Hi, and welcome to Theology Gals. We're a podcast for women on the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. And I'm Colleen Sharp, and my co host is Ashley Glassick. Well, Ashley, I was expecting our episode last week on Harry Potter to get a lot more, I don't know, negative, negative feedback. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, me too. Well, I think I think because we framed it like we're not telling somebody that you have to read it. We're just kind of offering reasons why we think it's okay. I think I think that's why people were pretty receptive to it. Um, cuz like no one has to read Harry Potter. Like <laughs> we just really like it. Think it's cool. You know, that's that's pretty much our stance. Right. You know, and the thing that you just said is exactly Somebody said to me, I appreciated so much that you said, you don't have to read it. And she told me, and I was very surprised by this, that she has often felt like she's doing her children a disservice by not, hmm. you know, having them read it. And, you know, I think about, I mean, there was hundreds of years with no Harry Potter and kids <laughs> survived. <laughs> yeah, they read books and all sorts yeah. of things. So, And so I was really... Um, I, I'm surprised we didn't get more feedback in the Bible thumping wingnut group. There was definitely, I think you saw it and it wasn't in response to our show, but somebody said about, you know, something about the purpose was to promote the occult <laughs> and you mm -hmm. and I are like, what? <laughs> no, yeah. that, was, that was not the purpose. And I, I think that actually shows the very thing that we were addressing that there's a lot of misinformation right out there i think i think we wanted to offer another perspective to people who may, maybe had only ever read the articles that talk about how horrible harry potter is like maybe it's helpful to hear the other perspective on it um, even if they don't agree and you know we probably have listeners who listen to the whole thing and still don't agree which is fine like it's like so not a hill to die on like if people disagree with us on that like I hope they keep listening like you know it's it's right. not that big of a deal we just we just like it and wanted to do an episode on it so well and especially because I personally had gotten some messages from people saying you know, what do you think about Harry Potter? Could you do an episode? Um, I've heard from a couple of women who said, I grew up reading it, I loved it, but my husband is against it. And one thing I wanted to just quickly address, because someone was disappointed that we didn't address the Deuteronomy passage on magic. And the reason why, at least from my perspective, that I didn't address it is because I don't think that Deuteronomy passage has anything to do with reading Harry Potter. And I actually went this week and did like a full word study on the passage in Deuteronomy that talks about the magic and occult and stuff. And so for those of you who are thinking, you know, that's, that's the proof text that you're using against reading Harry Potter, or that's what you've always thought, I would encourage you to do that because I think it's important when, 
I see this a lot with the passage that people use against tattoos. Mm -hmm. You know, they take one little passage, one little couple verses out of Leviticus and say, this is why I don't believe in tattoos. And I think it shows the reason why it's so important to read um, a passage in its context. And one thing I did too, so I would encourage that, go and do an in-depth study of that if that's something that you're wondering about. And I even went and read Calvin's commentary on that book, and mm -hmm. on, on that book of scripture, and Matthew Henry's commentary, and some others. And we're just so blessed today because we have so many amazing resources. Mm -hmm. You know, if you go to Bible Hub or Bible Tools, I think is the other one, and you get Calvin's commentary, Matthew Henry's commentary, John Gill's commentary. You can get so many different commentaries, and you can look up, you know, what original words were used. And it's it can be very helpful when you're trying to do an in-depth study of a passage. So that's what I would say about that. I don't know if you have anything to add. No, I don't have. I think you pretty much covered it. Okay. Well, today we are... I. I almost wanted to say, but it's probably not the right way to say it. I was going to say, today we are going to do something that's a hill to die on. And bet it's not a hill to die on. Um, but I will say that we are going to be talking about a topic that I think is extremely important. And we'll get into why it's important. We're going to be talking about the second commandment. And I know the idea, for some people, the idea that we don't use pictures of Jesus is new. So I think it might be helpful for people to understand why within the Reformed tradition, historically, we have been opposed to using pictures of Jesus, and not just in worship, but just in general. So we'll go to a quick commercial, and we will come back. This podcast is a member of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. All right, welcome everybody to another podcast episode with Semper Reformanda Radio. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. Welcome everyone to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. Well, welcome to the School of Biblical Hermeneutics. Welcome everybody to Grappling with Theology. What is going on, guys? Shine as lights coming at you. Well, welcome to Slick Answers. Good evening, and welcome to Conversations from the Port. Hello and welcome to Living in the Vine. This is the Council of Google Plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Bible Thumping Wingnut Podcast. The Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. 12 podcasts, one network. Check them out at BibleThumpingWingnut.com. So, Ashley, before we even get to kind of the second commandment, I thought, and I think you're the one really who said we need to talk about the law a little bit. I thought maybe you could start by just saying a little bit about the Ten Commandments, why we think, are they still applicable to us today? Sure. Um, I think as a young Christian, I was very confused on how to read the Old Testament, how to read the law, and it was really helpful when I started attending a Reformed church to kind of get an in-depth understanding of, um, I don't know how in-depth we want to go right now with this, but the threefold division of the law, the different uses of the law. Um, I think we'll probably end up doing a whole episode on Definitely. that. So, so I won't I won't go that far into it, but we we in the Reformed tradition we do believe that there are different aspects of the law. And one of those aspects is the moral law, which is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And we do hold that the moral law still applies to Christians today. Now I'm not saying anyone you know, gain salvation by following the moral law. I'm saying that um, God set forth the moral law as a way for us to live by. And it's been really interesting for me um, as I've started reading um, the Westminster Larger Catechism and what it has to say about the law just to see how much is required and forbidden in in the law um, it's just very challenging to me um i really like if you're if you're ever feeling like um like okay so sometimes i hear christians say like well i've never like not christians i guess like probably non-christians will say well i've never killed anybody you know they'll make that comment about the law like that's what the law is like don't kill anybody well, if you actually go read, you know, like what what does the sixth commandment require and forbid, you realize I fail almost every day at the sixth commandment. 
and not just the sixth commandment. So I, I just think it's really important to understand um, what the commandments are uh, just for daily Christian living. And I also think it's under, good to understand how the law is split up. There's the first four, um, which are how, let me see if I can say this right, how man is to act towards God. And then the last six, um, I think it's usually called the two tables of the law. Right, Colleen? Mm-hmm. Is that what they call it? The two tables? Yeah. The last six are how man interacts with man. Um, and the first four, I feel like, are the ones that are most ignored, especially the second and the fourth. Um, the last six, like a lot of people know, oh, I shouldn't commit murder or bear false witness or things like that. Um, but the first four are just so important and so neglected today. Um, I mean, definitely in modern evangelicism, but possibly even in some reform circles as well. So. Yeah. And I, and, you know, and since you talked about how, how the 10 commandments are split up, we see in the new Testament that it's summarized as loving God and your mm-hmm. neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I think some people think, okay, well now we have that and we have the things in the new Testament. So the old Testament doesn't uh, matter anymore. And we will do another episode that kind of responds to some of those different views. We don't have time to do really in great detail. But the other thing is, and Ashley was saying that, you know, if I've never murdered, but have I hated someone? I have. And so I am guilty. And we, in order to, we, we are actually to obey every single part of the law. Mm-hmm. And, and we do not. And you know, the, I want to remind everyone that the good news is that for those of us who have faith in Christ, that that our sins have been forgiven, but we also, it is also Jesus' life, his active obedience, which is imputed to us. And I had mentioned last week at the conference when they were talking about justification and it, and Jared Wilson who said, it's just as if I've always obeyed perfectly. And, and that's, that's just so amazing. I feel like so much when I grew up that the emphasis was on Christ's death and not enough on Christ's life and his act of obedience. And, but so as Christians, I'm going to assume our audience is Christians, that they're in Christ, that they trust in it, you know, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. And um, when we d- we'll probably do, you know, the three u- uh, episode at some point on the three uses of the law. But now that we are in Christ, our works do not merit anything, do not merit our um, salvation in any way. But we have the third use of the law. And that's where we see our guide as Christians for how to live. And mm-hmm. we live in gratitude. And, and we also obey because we are being sanctified you know as the westminster catechism says sanctification is a work of god's free grace because because of the work that the lord is doing in us and those who deny that you know are there is antinomians who say well you know i don't have to obey i'm in i'm in christ now though i'm not bound by those things any longer and, and that's antinomianism that is that is a very dangerous doctrine mm-hmm. So we're not telling you to obey these things so that you can prove that you're really in Christ or that you can maintain your salvation, but but out of love for God and gratitude mm-hmm. for what he has done for us. And multiple points in the New Testament were called to holiness. I mean, over and over again. And it's like, how do we know what holiness is? Well, we have this perfect model for what it is. It's in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And a lot of the Decalogue is repeated um, and expanded upon in the New Testament. My pastor's doing the Sermon on the Mount right now um, on Sundays. And it's so interesting just to see just to see what Jesus was doing um, and saying, you've you've heard that this is what the law meant, but this is actually what it was. And so it, it's helpful, you know, for people who say like, oh, well, that's not repeated in the in the New Testament. It's like, well, that's exactly what Jesus was doing on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he's repeating the, the Decalogue and then saying it means even more than what you think it means. 
Um, so yeah. So yeah, I think I think we should probably do a full episode on the law, <laughs> which sounds so funny. Like I know people hear the law and they're like, "Oh, great, yeah, that's exactly what it's <laughs> exactly what I want to hear people talk about the law." Um, but it, we do need to understand it as Christians. You know, we need to know what the law says and how how do, how do I respond? What am I supposed to do? Um, and that doesn't that doesn't contradict justification by faith alone. Um, you know, those things work together. So. Absolutely. And, you know, I I was actually going to say part of this later, but I think I'm going to start off with it. I I think in evangelicalism, like you were saying, Ashley, that that first part of the Decalogue is, is kind of ignored. Uh, You know, they might say, oh, we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, but I don't think there's a, there's a lot of consideration to what the second commandment really means, what the fourth commandment really means, and and really the first and third too. And I should probably mention, I know that Lutherans do separate the four, the the ten commandments a little differently than we do. But um, but one, th- I want to just quickly mention the regulative principle of worship, and even though, and then we'll get to the second commandment. One thing that's emphasized and has been historically in the Reformed tradition is is how we worship God. We don't just go and worship God by our own tastes or preferences, but we worship God in the way that he has told us to worship him. And and that's why I think that this is so, so, so important. I, I took a little clip from Derek Thomas had an article um, and Ligonier on the regulative principle of worship, which I'll link in the episode notes. And he said, the regulative principle of worship states that the corporate worship of God is to be founded upon specific directions of scripture. And so even our, this even does affect our, our worship of God, which we will, you know, kind of dive into a little bit more. And I think Ashley, you guys at your church did a Sunday school where you talked about the regulative principle, didn't you? We did, yeah. We're we're kind of a new ch- well, we're a mission work or church plant. Um, so we've been like going through basically all reformed ish stuff <laughs> in the past year. We're almost a year old, so it's exciting. Um, but was yeah, there, was there anything when you were studying that? So because I think this might even be helpful for someone coming out of kind of typical evangelicalism. Was there mm-hmm. anything that kind of really stuck out to you or even kind of where you said, you know, it is important that we worship God the way that he has outlined that we worship him. I think um, what made the most, the biggest impression on me was reading the passages in the old Testament where I think what made the biggest impression on me was uh, reading passages in the old Testament where people try to worship God in their own way. And God says, no, that is not acceptable to me. Um, the, the best example I can think of off the top of my head, because you put me on the spot, <laughs> just kidding, um, is uh, the, the Israelites with the, with the golden calf. Um, they're like, here, we're going to worship you in this way with this golden calf. And it's just like, no, that's not a way that I've said I wanted to be worshipped. Um, and so seeing that pattern of God, God saying, this is how I want to be worshiped. And then God having like wrath in a way towards those that are worshiping him, um, outside of what he, um, is requiring kind of helped me see like, this is still important. Like this hasn't changed. Like God's character hasn't changed. Um, and so that, I think that really brought the regular principle home for me, um, why it's just important. Cause I think if you, if you go into a reformed church and you're like me, you grew up in kind of evangelical mega churches, uh, you'd be like, what? This is, this is kind of weird. Um, we're only singing hymns might even come off as boring. Um, so I think it's important to understand like why, you know, like my my denomination, the OPC, like why did they come up with this liturgy style of worship? 
oh, because it's reflected by the regular principle and how God wants to be worshipped. Um, so, yeah. I don't want to get too far off, yeah. off the, off the tracks to, here. So. There's so much to say. And we did talk a little bit about it with, in our mm -hmm. episode with Amy Montrabati. Um, but, mm -hmm. yeah, we really should do an entire episode because I think that's really new yeah. for some of our listeners. So yeah. since we'll be talking specifically about the second famine, I'm going to read from Exodus 20 specifically on that. Sure. On that, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Uh, but show loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And one thing in my research that I was really finding was that a lot of people, you know, do the you shall not make for yourself an idol. They, they do the beginning, but they but they leave out that you shall not worship them or serve them and, you know, mm -hmm. the rest of it. So what is it? What does some of the catechism say? Okay, so I know you love the Heidelberg, mm -hmm. um, which I do too. I'm just more familiar with the Westminster, but let's start with the Heidelberg. Um, so what does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. Um, and so this is important, I think. That was question 96. Question 97 says, may we then not make any image at all? And the answer is God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. I love that qualifier, the last part, even to serve God through them. Um, and I'll just read one more. Question 98 says, but may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught, not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. I I, I love that. I, well, I love also our Westminster standards, um, too, but I love how that kind of almost answers some of the questions that, that you think might be coming, right. you know, but what about, what about for Sunday school? You know, yeah. um, can't we make an exception for, for the Jesus Story Bible or for Sunday school? Or, yeah, or like a beautiful stained glass window that, you know, decorates the church. It's kind of in a form of like we're worshiping him with it. We're not, we're not worshiping instead of, you know, um, so it kind of precludes any, any of those. I think, yeah, I think it's important that the verse too, like if we look at the text, because um, I've heard people say, I don't see a problem with having them. I'm not worshiping them. Well, the verse says, you shall not make for yourself an um, idol or any likeness of what is in heaven. It also says, you shall not worship. So if it only said, you shall not worship, I can see that argument. Like, oh, it just says, like, don't worship the images. But the verse is pretty clear that it says, no, you can't make an image and you also can't worship that image. Um, so I think that I think the text is really clear. I know a lot of people disagree with me on that, um, but I, I I find the text to be really clear on on those those two counts. Is that that's what it's saying? Yeah, and I I really liked um, when I was when I was looking through the the summary in the Helvetic Confession. Since God as a spirit is in essence invisible and immense, he cannot really be expressed by any art or image. For this reason, we have no fear pronouncing with scripture that images of God are mere lies. Therefore, we reject not only the idols of the Gentiles, but also the images of Christians. Although Christ assumed human nature, yet he did not on account assume it in order to provide a model for carvers and painters images are forbidden by the law and the prophets. I, I really, I hadn't read that summary before and I really, hmm. really liked it. And we probably won't read everything, but what the, what the Westminster says is consistent with what the, I mean, with 
the Heidelberg. I mean, this mm -hmm. is this is something that has been handed down from you know the reformers and and we'll get into they didn't it wasn't new to them it was this was the view of the early church mm -hmm. i like that the helvetic confession i've never read that either that's really interesting but it shows how like like what the problem is with images is like it's impossible to truly represent god with an image and how why that is a lie why it's a misrepresentation of who god is and like why would we want to misrepresent who god is like i don't i just don't know why as christians we'd even want to do that um regardless of the fact that it's forbidden in in scripture like why would we want to misrepresent misrepresent god right and i i think that's a wonderful point ashley because it's not truth that Jesus and nor the apostles gave some standard for making pictures of Jesus, you know, making five, six with, um, with long brown hair and green eyes. And they did not give us anything like that in which we could even accurately portray. Mm -hmm. I just, before we move on, I just want to read what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. Yeah, I was just thinking because that. I love, if you haven't read the larger Shorter Catechism, I love how they, it's laid out, what's required, what's forbidden. Like for me, that just like is so logical. Like it's really helpful for me. Um, but when it says what's required, you know, I think we usually talk about the forbidden part and we forget what's required. Um, it says the second commandment requireth the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath, hath appointed in his word. Um, so I just like that in, in keeping the second commandment, we're also keeping our worship pure. Um, that's a really, that's just really interesting to me. Yeah. And I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up kind of how those are, there are organized because if you read through the Westminster Shorter Catechism, they have, you know, very similar to what Ashley was saying, what is required, what is forbidden, and then, it, and then what are the reasons annexed to the second commandment? Mm -hmm. What the reasons annexed to the second commandment are God's sovereignty over us, his propriety in us, and the zeal he hath to his own worship, mm -hmm. which I love that too, the zeal he hath to his own worship. He has the one who has clearly laid out how he is to be worshiped. Yeah. Um, and I just want to throw out a disclaimer. I know we've we've done an episode on the confessions before, but like our our view on this really does come from scripture. We just find the catechisms and confessions to be a helpful explanation of the points we see in scripture, just in case someone's listening and they're like, well, that's what the confession says, not what the, not what the Bible says. We really do think this is what the Bible says and the confessions are just helpful. Yeah, we believe that they are a clear biblical summary. Mm -hmm. So before we kind of get to some of the objections, I thought it might be helpful to talk about the history because I find this history very, very fascinating uh, and one thing I wanted to say, and I've said it in the group before, is I grew up being taught that having images of Jesus was wrong, but I did not grow up reformed. And my my father converted from Orthodox Judaism to Christianity, and he was completely opposed to images. And and I've actually I, I had a Jewish employer, and I've got Jewish family members, and I've talked to some different people, and I've even had um, people who are still in Judaism say to me, "Why are Christians okay with pictures of Jesus if they think that Jesus is God? Isn't that forbidden in the Second Commandment?" So I think it's kind of interesting because what I've learned from studying, I did a study a while back on kind of the history of images of Jesus, and there, the early church w was not okay with pictures of Jesus, which I think is, is very interesting that this is the way that they understood it. And, you know, as I said, that Jesus and the apostles, they didn't authorize any image and say, okay, here's the image that you can use. 
and the earliest picture, oh, let me say, if you want to learn the history, go listen to R. Scott Clark's episode on the Second Commandment, which I'll link in the episode notes, because he's a church historian and lays out so wonderfully that the history of images of Jesus. But so there were some images in about 235, but it was it was originally more the Gnostics, not Orthodox, that were making these images. But in 309, at the Council of Elvira, in Elvira Canon 36, it forbids pictures of Christ, forbidding the use of images in churches, became a bone of contention between Catholic and Protestant scholars after the, oh, I gotta take that out, sorry, I put the wrong thing there. Okay, so in, in 309 at the Council of Elvira in Canon 36, it forbids pictures of Christ. Mm -hmm. So, but the thing that was newest to me that I, di that I didn't know that the widespread use of images is actually fairly new. And I've tried to do a bunch of reading. I could not find a lot of information. R. Scott Clark talked some about it. But until 1961, they did not use a lot of images in media. And even R. Scott Clark said that in the, in the movie Ben-Hur, they only showed Jesus, his hands, possibly his feet. And there was a movie in 1961, I believe it's called King of Kings. And that's when they had an actor play Jesus. But apparently it was very, very controversial because the, there was not a widespread use of images. And the one other thing I wanted to say is this is a thing that I, I don't know whether to laugh or cry at this. But this was agreed on even by secular sociologists and that was that the pictures of jesus that we see around show ethnic characteristics of the culture that has made it isn't mm -hmm. that just so crazy so that's why in the united states we see a very scandin white scandinavian <laughs> long-haired good-looking jesus yeah uh-huh and when i did some mission work in mexico they had a very hispanic looking jesus <laughs> and yeah. But that that's almost sad though. You know? Yeah, it's like I, I chuckled and then I went, that's not really funny. Yeah. I mean that's <laughs> you know, why I, said, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Yeah. And I mean I think I think most people know when they see the picture of the white Jesus, they know okay, Jesus wasn't white. Like I, I think I think most people know that. But people don't see the problem with having having the picture of him, you know. Like people can people can admit that's probably inaccurate based on the region Jesus came from, but yet I don't see a lot of people saying we shouldn't be making images at all. Yeah. So yeah, that's exactly. interesting. That's interesting that it's really kind of new because I know, um, I know, like in evangelicism, I know I th I feel like we pick on evangelicism a lot, even though we're kind of part of it, but. Um, just in like broader evangelicism, I don't think there's any issue with it at all. Um, I've been in evangelical churches where they have images on the walls and and things like that. So I've I I myself have done coloring book pictures as a kid. So I yeah, not last week. <laughs> no, no. I just I went to like a you know evangelical type school, and so. Yeah, oh, they have them in Sunday school. Yeah, know? Sunday school, color and picture. Like, there's really no, I just, if I had not, you know, kind of ended up in the Reformed world, probably would have never had a problem with it because I just didn't know. So that's, and, it's just interesting that that's kind of new. Like, in the in the 1800s, this wasn't happening, you know? Right. I think it's, it it's not. I think in Protestantism is where it's new. I, I didn't do oh, a not, lot of research. Not in Catholicism. Yeah. yeah, I'm not exactly sure everything on, you know, when it was used in Catholicism. I do know that at the time of the Reformation, this was something that was revived that, mm -hmm. you know, and Calvin, Calvin has said quite a bit, and I'm going to put a ton of links from Calvin in the episode notes. But one of the things he said is, now we must remark that there are two parts in the commandment. The first forbids the erection of a graven image or any likeness. The second prohibits the transferring of the worship 
which God claims for himself alone to any of these phantoms or delusive shows. Wow. Calvin's language there, phantoms or delusive shows. Yes. He just hits the nail on the head. Yeah. You know, I was, as, as you were saying, obviously images aren't new in Catholicism. I don't think in Eastern Orthodox as as well. Right. right? Um, well, in their history too, there was times where they, I mean, if you look at the council of Elvira and in some other places, there were times where it became, where it became uh, controversial. And what, what I read in my reading that it was actually became more widespread when Constantine became a Christian and tried to hmm. Christianize everything hmm. that they became a little bit more because there, R. Scott Clark mentioned some stories when, you know, people tried to get permission to have a painting of Jesus. Okay. And they were declined. Well, it just reminded me of when I was in Italy. Like, it's really hard to be a Protestant in Italy because pretty much all the artwork that is in all the museums is Catholic artwork. And so there's literally second commandment violations like everywhere you turn. Um, so it was, you know, it's like you want to go see these like historical places, but at the same time, you're just like, this is so sad. You know, like I went to the Vatican and it was just, I felt really sad the whole time I was there. Like this just is like, just a complete mischaracterization of who God is and what the church is supposed to be. Um, so, and I did post some funny pictures. You might've seen them, Colleen. Yeah. <laughs> when I was at the Vatican. Um, anyways. And so. you know, I know that some people probably say, well, we're not like the Catholics, you know, we don't pray to the saints or, you know, mm -hmm. this and that. Um, but I think we should maybe just talk a little bit about what, how this kind of affects us practically, and then yeah. and then talk about the worship. But Ashley, what what would you say to the person who says, "But I don't worship the image, though. You know, I just like to have a picture of Jesus. It just like reminds me of him, and you know, kind of gives me peace. And you know, I'm not worshiping it, though." Um, I guess my response would be, what's, why do we have images in the first place? Like, what's the point of even, of even um, making an image? And the way I heard someone describe this too, well, okay, let me back up. The first thing I would say is I think making the image is forbidden in scripture. The next thing I would say, which is like a you know, logical retort, I think, is why do we even have images? And the way I heard someone describe this is uh, when we, like, if, if you believe, like, Jesus Christ is who he says he is, that he died on the cross for your sins that you haven't even committed yet and that you have committed, how do you not look at a picture of Jesus, your savior, and not have any feelings of adoration, of praise. Like if you, if you say Jesus is who he is, like how do you not have those feelings when you look at a picture of Jesus? And that's when someone said it to me that way, like I should have just been convinced by scripture, I think. But that really like helped me understand like what what the problem with an image is um, and why God would forbid them. So, what what do you think, Colleen? Yeah, you know, you said something that actually reminded me of something that I've listened to R. Scott Clark's podcast on the subject probably five times because I, I just found it very fascinating. But one thing he talks about is that some people will say, "Well, there's a difference between adoration and worship." And that they would distinguish that way. And what he says is, but scripture never makes that distinction. Hmm. Never, Scripture never says, you know, you have adoration here and worship over here. And I would say ultimately, so anyone who's on social media sees, you know, the picture of 
this man who's supposed to be Jesus holding a little lamb. Okay, so what's the purpose of that? And some verse, you know, about it. The purpose of that is to cause some sort of feeling or response Mm -hmm. from the viewer, right? And so, and the ultimate purpose would be hopefully, I mean, that I, people might not say it right out, but is to worship, to worship God. The other thing I would say is I try to avoid even seeing those pictures. I'm very visual learner and I don't want those pictures in my head when I worship God. Mm-hmm. And that, and someone might say, well, that's not my problem. It doesn't do away with the things that we've already said, but as far as just answering, you know, but I don't worship the image, but ultimately I think pictures ultimate goal is to bring about worship not the Mm -hmm. image itself but worship because of that image and i think that's very dangerous because god has never told us this this kind of gets into the purity of worship let's let's just kind of move to the the purity of worship so is it important that we worship god the way that he has laid out Mm -hmm. and we've already kind of talked about the regular principle and why that's important and how if god has said don't worship me with images and we're worshiping him with images that's not even covered in normative principle that's going directly against what god's commanded our worship to be if he said don't do this and we say yeah but we feel this is a good way to worship you like who are we to say this is how I think God wants to be worshiped. It's like, what? That is just, that's arrogant, I think, to think we can come up with better ways to worship God than the ways he's given us. I highly recommend G.I. Williamson has a has some study books on the Westminster Standards, and I found this great quote from him. The second commandment teaches us how we are to worship. We are to worship God only as he had commanded us to worship him. Anything that man devises, invents, or imagines corrupts the true reverence and worship of God. So I would say that these images potentially corrupt the true worship of God Mm -hmm. by by their purpose and even by things that might enter my head in worship. Hmm. I like the way Calvin said that they're phantoms and delusive shows like obviously not a true representation of who God is. Uh, Colleen, can you mention the Lord's Supper and maybe how that relates to this whole discussion? Yeah, you know, I I think this is very important because in response, some people might say, but I'm a very visual person and seeing those images is very helpful for me. I need something tangible. And you know what? The Lord has given you something tangible. He's given you the Lord's Supper. He's given us a picture of Christ in that. We don't, we don't need pictures of Christ. And and that's the other thing. Even if you aren't, aren't convinced, sometimes I always ask my children, is it necessary? Mm -hmm. Is it necessary for our faith to have pictures of Jesus? No, it is not because he has given us far more. He has given us baptism and the Lord's Supper. He's given us his word. We have those things which are tangible and we don't need pictures of Christ. Hmm. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that before until recently, how the Lord's Supper gives us a picture of who Jesus is. Obviously not a visual one as maybe maybe someone would like. Like you said, you're a visual learner but it is a, at least a representation of, of Christ. So. And the Lord's Supper, going back to the regulative principle of worship, the Lord's Supper is part of what the Lord has instituted to us yeah. in our corporate worship. Yeah. So in Brian Crosby on Christ's Word Collective, which is part of Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, and I'll link his article because it's excellent. He says, God has already given us one visual means by which we both remember and participate in the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Scripture calls this the full Lord's Supper. So, you know, the Lord has has given us these things and even baptism. 
What about crucifixes? I mean, and a crucifix isn't just a cross. It is a cross where Jesus is still on it. I mean, I think even though you're not seeing his face or anything, it's still, again, a representation. Hmm. What about, so someone in our group said that they have, like, crosses hanging in their house. Like, not with Jesus on them. Because I, I know I've seen, that's common in Catholicism, to have the little the little cross with the, the um, actual crucifix with, uh, yeah with Christ actually on it but what about things like um having a cross because they sell those you know at Hobby Lobby or whatever for people to put what do you think of that just the cross without Jesus yeah. you know that is actually not something I've studied in in great detail and I know within reform circles there's there's different views on on this, I tend to not, um, because I think I would rather, I would rather err on the side of the purity of worship mm -hmm. and go too far than to do yeah. something that maybe is not appropriate. Yeah, has, I, I think- Has your pastor talked about that? No, you, okay. I actually, and I'm curious maybe if our, any of our listeners have thoughts on it, because I, I don't, I guess I don't really have an opinion on it because it doesn't it doesn't have an actual image of a member of the trinity so but i know there's people out there who do have a problem with them and there's people out there who's like it's totally okay i buy them at hobby lobby so um i don't know i'd, I'd be curious to see what people think of that the yeah i think some people would say it's still being used as something that represents Christ and so therefore it's unnecessary. I think that that's what, but I, I'm not prepared to say that they're absolutely wrong at this point. I think it's something as always go and study this, talk to your right. own pastor. Uh, you know, I actually, the church, I don't know. Oh, you didn't, you didn't go to the church that we both went to in the old building. Did you? Mm, I mean, it's still, the building's still there, but I didn't Okay. No. So in the original building, the church that Ashley and I went to, my parents were part of planting it in 1976. And then I think it was, I want to say when I was 14 or 15, somewhere around there, I was three in 1976. But so when I was 14 or 15, they had, they had a long-term goal. They, the church had bought lands and different things, but the building that we worshiped in for, for quite a long time had this um, cross at the front, right? And it, mm -hmm. it was lit up behind it. Okay, so it looks like this glowing cross. And I don't know why I thought of this. I just thought it'd be a funny story. So we got, my husband and I got married in this church and did not have the best photographers. And so when they took the pictures, you know, we're standing in front of this cross and it literally looks like this glowing cross is coming out of my head in half the pictures because <laughs> <laughs> it's behind me. So. Well, another thing, and I know this has been talked about in our group, is what about nativity scenes? Can can we, it's just a baby Jesus. Mm -hmm. So, well, I do think a baby Jesus is still an image. I personally, maybe you can disagree with me here, I'm okay with having the nativity set up and just not having a little baby Jesus. That's exactly what I do. And yep. that's why we do a podcast together. <laughs> yep. Like, um, brain sometimes. Yeah. I know. We might we might actually have to do a – I think we might have to do a celebrating Christmas because now all of a sudden mm -hmm. I hear those questions coming. We might have to oh, do a yeah. Christmas um, podcast because I know some people are opposed to that. But, yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's pretty much what I do. I just I throw away the little baby Jesus is. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have – actually, my mother-in-law my or my in-laws went to – Israel and they brought us this uh, nativity set that was carved out of wood in Bethlehem. <laughs> so, oh, wow. That's what I would say as far as the nativity sets. The other thing that I wanted to respond to, because some people will say, but Jesus is different because he was a human on earth. Okay, the thing that you have to remember is you need to be really careful separating Jesus from his divine nature, because that's actually an ancient heresy called Nestorianism. Mm -hmm. He is, even though, yes, he is still man, he is also still fully God. Yeah. And that's why that this applies to even Jesus. And what about things like doves uh, as a representation of the Holy Spirit? Well, I've never heard of that before. Well, I guess, yeah, I guess people do that, huh? Mm -hmm. They have, they have, because 
because was it when John the Baptist was baptized or was it when John the Baptist baptized Jesus? That yeah, dove... I think that's when, when he said he was sent, sending a helper and then the whole thing with the dove. With right? the dove. Yeah. So oh, I see that around quite often, this, this dove representation of the Holy Spirit. And again, I, I don't think that that's any better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's still... It's, or any different even. Yeah, I think just avoid images that represent any part of the Trinity. So. God, God has not told us in his word to use them. They are not necessary. And then if you do think that they're necessary, you need to ask yourself why. Because if it is to, if, if it is to encourage some sort of feeling or something that would ultim ultimately lead you to worship, and we don't need them. I will tell you that I have so many resources for you ladies this week. If somebody wants to do an in-depth study, I have just really a lot of stuff from Calvin. I got stuff from G.I. Williamson. Highly, highly encourage listening to the Heidelcast episode on the Second Commandment, which I'm also linking. And I have just a lot of a lot of resources. I also listen to this is another one. I also listen to the Christ the Center episode at you know reformed forum yeah. on the second commandment which was also extremely extremely helpful so there's people much smarter than us and and more well studied that have addressed this in in more detail so a lot of times ashley and i are just kind of offering a brief summary but our our hope is that you would go and and be in god's word and study this yeah and i i think I think because of our experience, like we both came kind of from the evangelical world and are now in the reform world, like hopefully what we're saying is somewhat relatable. Like we weren't just raised this way and I've always believed this. Like we've kind of come to these conclusions um, on our own. So, yeah, because I had mentioned that I, I grew up um, being taught this by my dad, but as a teenager, I really was like, nah, I don't think he's right. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't see any problem with it. And so I, I'm, it was very helpful for me to study it and read kind of the history and, and also just read what a lot of wonderful men said. I mean, Calvin really talked about it a lot. Is there anything else on the second commandment? I mean, um, I guess I would just say if you're one of those people that's not really convinced by anything we've said, maybe just avoid them <laughs> and avoid images until you've done more study because, um, I don't know, I always find that's the best policy, at least, at least for me. Like before I was convinced by the fourth commandment, I said, I think I'm going to start changing my Sunday practices until I'm sure, you know, in, until I'm, you know, completely convinced that this is, this is something I need to consider, you know, because I wasn't convinced right away. But um, anyway, so just, I don't know, maybe, maybe avoid them until you, until you've studied, studied it some more to come to a, a real, real conclusion, I guess. I think, I think that's well said, Ashley. And I think it, you know, ultimately, what's really important here is that we are worshiping God in the way that he has has told us in his word. And I think it's better to err on the side of caution than, well, I'm not convinced, so I'm going to, you know, keep doing it. Mm -hmm. But but ask yourself, do, do you need these images and why do you need these images? And, and really, really think about that. So, well, we'll go to a quick break and we'll come back with our, yeah, about that. Looking for that perfect track for your next evangelism outreach? Look no further. At TrackedPlanet.com, we have solid biblical tracks that are a breeze to hand out. They are beautifully designed and are the highest quality tracks available. With over 80 different designs in stock and literally hundreds more available by custom order, we're sure to have just the right one for you. You can get any of our items printed with your church or ministry information or have us design a brand new track just for you. We are committed to the solid biblical message of law to the proud and grace to the humble. Each tract is firm on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the necessity of repentance and faith in salvation. 
come check us out at trackedplanet.com and make sure you use coupon code BTWN at checkout for 10% off your entire order. That's TRACTplanet.com, coupon code BTWN. So, Ashley, I know you've been busy. I'm not going to mention the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. um, nope. Nope. No crying on this episode. Nope. So, but I, I found several little bad, yeah, things that would fit into our yeah about that. So I'll tell you this one, see what you think. If you'll learn to release control to God, you'll not only live happier, you'll live longer. Huh. huh. That's interesting. So, like, to live a long life, I just need to release control. Okay. So, I'm actually in control right now. God's not. And I have to release the control back to him. So, does he need us to release it to take it back? Uh, that's what it sounds like. I'm in control of the control. And I decide who has it, whether it's me or God. And I need to give it back to him to live longer and happier. <laughs> I tried so hard to, to not giggle. Then you made the face. Uh, um. <laughs> Okay, so let me just say, yes, you do need to trust in God, but guess what? He is in control, whether mm -hmm. you're giving him that control or not. I, I guarantee you he is, he is the one in control. Because mm -hmm. I've tried to take control myself sometimes, and it does not work out very well. Yeah. And, but, but really, I think this ultimately is the prosperity gospel. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's ultimately where really God's just waiting for us to do certain things so that he can do what he wants to with us. Help right. us live happy, healthy, and wealthy. Which is really discouraging to people that are not happy and not healthy because they must not be releasing control back to God. Um, yes. Or they must not have enough faith because we see that in there too. And I, I think, I know I was telling you, Ashley, about just... A, just a wonderful friend of mine who such taught me so much about the Christian faith and she just such an amazing woman taught me so much about studying scripture and being a wife and a mom and she got cancer and and she fought it and and it was in remission and it came back kind of with a vengeance and she really believed that she was doing a uh, one of these kind of test studies for her kind of cancer and she really believed it was going to work like if it took faith for it to work she would have she would be alive still but mm -hmm. the lord had other plans and so by 50 years old she went to be with him and we've got a lot of gals in our group who are dealing with difficult illnesses and i think that ultimately what that does is it i mean really what it does even though it's saying relinquishing the the control to God, really what it does is make it sound like we really are in control of a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately it's not making God sovereign, it's making us. If I just do these things, and I don't can't think of what verse that is that says if we relinquish the control to God, we're gonna live longer. But but ultimately guess what? The Lord the Lord is control in control and we we will live as many days as the Lord has decided that we will live regardless of how much faith we have or whether we relinquish our, our control to him. Mm -hmm. Yep. So you, you said that really well. Yeah. About that. <laughs> <laughs> so this, again, I want to remind you ladies that we have so many resources for this week. If you would like to study this more, and the other thing I want to say is this is not a foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. I believe it's a very important one. And I think we need to think and talk and study in regards to worshiping God in, in the way that he has, has told us to worship him. And, but it's not something we're not, we're not saying that you're going to go to hell, you know, or you're not a Christian because you have a different view, but with anything, even if you disagree with us, continue to study. 
because that's continue to study the Word of God. So if anything that from this episode or any episode you can find on BibleThumpingWingNet.com, click on Theology Gals. I We do have some good episodes coming up. We got a couple guests coming up soon. I'm super, super excited. I'm not going to say who it is, although anyone who knows me knows that uh, my one of my very favorite authors has agreed to come on the show. Like if I was a fan of anyone, it would be this person. And so I'm super excited about that. And we also are going to be having Christina Fox on again about her book, uh, More Than a Sister. And it's about mm -hmm. friendships. It's about union with Christ and friendships. And Rachel Mill, I, I, I have the book. And Rachel Miller wrote a wonderful review of the book. And look up that book. You don't have to wait till we have her on, although we'll probably do a giveaway. But I'm excited to have Christina on. And if you have any episode ideas, shoot us a message on social media or email us at theologygals at gmail.com. If you would like to support us, we do have a little bit of expenses, and you can support us on Patreon, look up Theology Gals, or you can go to BibleThumpingWingNet.com, click on Theology Gals somewhere in an episode, and that there will be links to everything there. So thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it, and we'll see you next week.